It's Mother's Day. Obviously, you knew that. And Mother's Day, do you know it is one of the most attended services in churches around the nation? You got Christmas, Easter, and then you got Mother's Day. It's number three. And for some, this is such a fun and honoring day. You woke up with breakfast in bed, and, and you've got getting, you know, treats and surprises throughout. But for others, this can be a hard day. It can be a difficult day. And some of us, some people have lost their mothers recently. Or you're reminded that you maybe can't have children like you hoped or haven't yet had children. There was a time when Amy and I were told we, we wouldn't be having any children, and Mother's Day was always a hard day for us. And so I wanna, we want to take the time and honor mothers, yes, in the house. But I want to talk about something today that's not just focused on, on motherhood. Today's sermon we're going to pull out of our Exodus series for one week. We'll be back to Exodus next week, and I'm already excited about what we're going to be doing then. But today we're talking about a topic that um, especially mothers deal with, but you're going to find pretty quickly that, that this hits home for all, all, all of us. We're going to go to Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says this. He said, come to me, all of you, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And mothers, you, you get weary, don't you? But we all get burdened. We all are. In some way. So this message is for each of us. Jesus is calling the weary and the burdened to come to him. And he promises. I mean, he's saying, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burdened by something in life? I'm the guy. Come to me. I want to give you rest. Red Bull gives you wings. Five-hour energy gives you five hours of energy, I'm guessing. But neither are cures for weariness. They don't cure tiredness. They just you know, covered up. I mean, you're still completely exhausted. You're tired, but now your brain can be stimulated while your body continues to break down around you. It's great. But Jesus is offering something completely different. He's not offering a cover-up. He's not offering just to mask the, the weariness. He wants to do something about it. Come to me, all you who are weary, all who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. How many of you, somewhere in your life, are tired, weary, burdened. What makes us weary? Well, let's just start off with the obvious. Life does. Life has a great way of making us weary. We are walking around in bodies that are not designed for the long haul. I mean, in my 20s, I'd get two hours of sleep, and I, I was amazed at how I could function the next day. Now in my 40s, I'll get eight hours of sleep and wake up with something new that hurts, and I don't even know how it happened. Our bodies aren't meant to make the long haul. They break down, they slow down, they need help, they need sleep, they need healing. And some of us are, worry, are weary because of so much work. We're exerting ourselves and exhausting ourselves, using our energy beyond our capacity. We're depleted. We get low on fuel. Just on the surface level, when you get low on fuel, you don't run like you're supposed to. You slow down. Now, it is Mother's Day, and I haven't told this illustration and this story in quite a while. My mother's not here, so I can't bring her on stage and fully embarrass her. But, but I will never forget, my mother, way before this church or any of this building was here, we used to have church in Redstone. And we didn't have a building for a while, and somehow my dad talked somebody into getting a temporary schoolhouse put behind the Coke ovens. He can tell you the whole story. But we had a schoolhouse behind the Coke ovens. It was about as big as this section right here, okay? And, and I'll never forget, I'm a young boy, and my mom is singing a special. Now, some of you from your church background, you know what a special is, right? Well, my mother, she would get up there and she'd sing a solo. Now, we didn't have any volume issues or producers or soundboard. I was in charge of, in charge of pushing play on a cassette recorder. Kid, you can ask your mom on the way out. 
cassette recorder. So we would push play and the special would start. And my mom, with her beautiful voice, she would just be singing. And, and, and there came a point, though, in this song where panic began to set in, not just for my mom, but for everybody in the church. Because the cassette started to slow down, <laughs> and which made the octaves have to sing down and slower. And what we realized all at the same moment is there's no power in this place. It's run on a generator, three Coke ovens down, and it needs gas. There's a, there's a, there's a cord from the Coke oven to generator to the, to the church, and it's low, and it's slow. So Mike, a friend of mine, jumps up, runs down to the, we're just, we, we, see, we hear him, we see him take off, and you're in your mind wondering how long it takes, and, and all of a sudden, my mother, who's up there and trying her best to keep composed, all of a sudden, back up to full speed, and we can continue with the special. It was an amazing moment, but when we get low on fuel, things don't work right. We slow down. We get weary. Getting low on fuel causes everything in our life to not quite work the way we had hoped or wanted it. We all do get low on fuel. And so how do we react when that happens? At work, how do you react when you're low? Let's be honest. Oftentimes, at work, we, we put our best face on, and it's those at home that suffer. I mean, how we treat and respond our, our spouse, our friend, or our roommate when we are low. Or, <laughs> convicting for me, how little patience I have with my children when I'm low. We've all been there, and many of us are there now. We're tired, our bodies, hearts, minds. And, but what about, what about the other one? It says wearied and a heavy burden. What does burden mean? You know, weariness is something that's on the inside, but, but burdens are something we carry on the outside that weighs us down, which this makes me ask, what circumstances right now are you facing that are just crushing you under the weight? Just looking around and knowing some of the burdens in the, of what many of you are, some of you are dealing with in this place. Some of it is absolutely crushing. What situations are you in right now in your life? You are burdened. It could be financial. It could be your business or, or your home. It could be your responsibilities. Moms, you, you get this. There's always more laundry. Always. <laughs> more, for, for some of you, it could be the burden of a breaking relationship or a broken one. You could be carrying the burden of wanting a relationship that isn't available to you. It could, it could be school, kids, health concerns. It could be, it could be diagnoses hanging like weights upon your heart. And anxiety that we carry weighs us down. The, the sadness, the depression weighs us down. Anger and bitterness is, is a heavy weight. In fact, if you have someone in your life this morning that when you think about them and see their face or hear their name, you have a response of anger and resentment, you can be assured that you're carrying a burden of bitterness for that person. See, I would bet each of us in here is burdened somewhere in our lives, and I would also guess we're all carrying more than people know we are. Each of us deals with this. So when Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary on the inside or carrying heavy burdens on the outside, I will give you rest. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to us. Life does this to us. And we also do it to ourselves. Where do you find yourself right now most burdened in life? 
What circumstances or concerns are, are weighing the heaviest upon you? What if Jesus could do what only he could do in those places? What does he say about it? He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, a yoke, I mean, in a physical sense, they would put a yoke on the neck of an ox so it could carry a heavy burden. The yoke was heavy, and it would be attached to a plow or, or something else. That would, it would create greater burden. It was weighty. It was cumbersome. Jesus telling me to put on a yoke when I'm already weary, I'm already burdened, it sounds backwards. Like, hey, are you tired and weary? I got more for you. But the yoke Jesus is talking about is a completely different kind of yoke. You see, it's a, it's, it's a yoke that we don't have in our culture. We don't use this kind of yoke language. Jesus is talking about a certain kind of yoke there in that time. Each rabbi, Jesus was a rabbi, and there were many other rabbis and teachers, Pharisees, Sadducees. And, and these rabbis, along with Jesus, they pretty much shared the same core belief about the Torah, about God, and about mo the law of Moses. The same core belief, but outside of the main issues that gave them their identity, each rabbi would have a unique set of beliefs and teachings and opinions that were different from others. We have this in Churches of America. The, the, the orchard is unique. We may share the same core beliefs about Jesus Christ dying and, 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 and resurrecting in many other churches in our area and nationwide, but there are things that are uniquely us. Well, that happened back then too. So these unique teachings of these rabbis were often the result of their experiences in life, their temperament, their personality, and the revelation they believed they'd gotten from the word. Here's an, and, and you know what that was called, their unique teachings? Their yoke. And here's an example. A, a rabbi during the time of Jesus, he believed that money was evil and that it caused you to move farther from God. And so he believed that to, to, to truly follow God, you should have no money which meant that was his yoke. That was his specific teachings. And if you wanted to be his disciple, you would have to put that yoke on, no money, and follow him. Another, another rabbi would believe that only in silence can you truly and fully connect with God. And he would, he would spend much of his time away from the crowds, away from the cities, and he took a vow of silence. Now, both those rabbis believed the same core truths about God and the Torah, but their ministries looked vastly different. One has no money and one has no words. That was called their yoke. It's the specific flavor of the rabbi or the church. We have our yoke in this place. And if you're a person and you're looking to be a disciple of one of those rabbis back then, what you would do is you would go listen to them, not the one who took the vow of silence. He's kind of hard to listen to. You would go listen to these rabbis and you would say, oh, ooh, this, I'm resonating with this one over here. Mm, that is not my temperament. You would listen to which one resonated with your soul and you would choose, I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to follow that rabbi. His yoke is the one I'm accepting. So when Jesus says, take my yoke, and learn from me. He's saying, take up the things that I live, that I teach. Take up the revelation that I have received from God and come follow me. Be my disciple. And to be a disciple doesn't mean that you learn what your rabbi knows. Being a disciple means you want to be like your rabbi. So you would take on the yoke of Jesus to become like Jesus. That's what we are doing. He says, if you're weary, become my disciple and learn from me. If you're burdened, Take that cumbersome yoke off of whatever it is you're carrying and come put my yoke on that is light. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. I'm humble. I'm gentle. 
You will find rest for your souls. He calls himself humble and gentle. And these are, these are interesting words when you're, when you're telling people to come follow you. Gentleness, I always used to believe, was like a, a weak word. It, you know, it's kind of a warm fuzzy. And then every year, I would ask God to give me a word for my year. And I'll never forget, it was years ago. He said, the word for your year is gentleness. And I had to go look it up. It's like, gentleness? Are you sure? And I showed my wife, and she goes, yeah, pretty sure. <laughs> gentleness has everything to do with how you how you wield your power, how you speak to people, how you treat people. Did you know that only powerful people need gentleness? And you are each powerful somewhere in your life. And that's the area you need to be gentle. Think of it. The words of a parent weigh heavy and strike the heart of a child. And that's where we as parents need to be the most gentle often. Gentle with our spouses. Gentle with our children. Gentle with each other. Have you ever seen like a, a child that's holding a baby chick? Like the child doesn't have a lot of power, but it's greatly more powerful than that baby chicken. It requires gentleness. So God, he holds you gently in his hands of peace, even when you're hurting, when you're fragile. He holds you in his hands of love. Jesus is saying a couple things here. Come to me if you're burdened and weak, weary, because I'm powerful, but I'm gentle. I'm big enough, I'm strong enough to help you in the burden that you're carrying. I'm big enough, I'm strong enough to be with you through the dark valley you're walking, but I will speak to your heart and I will hold your heart with gentleness. Are you burdened? I'm powerful, all powerful, but gentle. He said he's humble. He didn't elevate himself. He modeled this for us and he calls it to us. I mean, Jesus had all authority that he chose humility. So here's what he's saying. Jesus is secure enough to be gentle despite having all power. Jesus is secure enough to be humble despite having all authority. And both of those are what he brings to us when we bring our burdens and weariness to him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Be my disciple. Follow me. For I am all powerful but gentle, all authority but humble of heart. Follow me and you will have rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. How does your soul come, become weary? What is your soul? I mean, he's offering you something. What is, what is he offering here? The soul weariness is an exhaustion at a level well beneath your mind, your body, your emotions, your will. It's, it's, it's something that lack of sleep and, or getting sleep or vacations, nothing can make up for this. Soul weary comes from deep within. It's, 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 it's weariness on a whole nother level. You see, your soul or your spirit is the deepest, truest part of who you are, that eternal part of you, that eternal part of you, far deeper than your heart, your hopes, your dreams, your desires. The soul is what sets us apart because we have this spirit. What happens when the, the, the core, the deepest part of who you truly are, what happens when it becomes weary and burdened? I mean, how do you take a nap for that? Red Bull cannot market to a soul weariness. There's just nothing touches it. In fact, if your soul is weary, then no amount of napping and no amount of vacation can recover you. And you've probably experienced this soul weariness before because you've gone on vacation and come home so tired you wanted a vacation. I'm exhausted from my vacation. I mean, I, you can go on a beach and take a hundred Instagram photos of your toes out on a beach. And there's not enough toes and not enough beaches to touch soul weariness. You can't vacation your way out of it. You can't sleep your way out of it. 
Now, you can learn some psychology and mindfulness and self-help and meditation and tricks of those, but, but they do not bring peace to the soul level that Jesus is talking about here. I mean, think of it. If the deepest, truest part of you is weary and burdened, what are the chances of finding rest for the other outside areas of your mind and your body and your will and your heart and your emotions? But what if you found rest for that deepest core part of who you are? If you're rested and refreshed in your soul and spirit, think of how that spills out to live and love and in peace in your heart, in your mind, in your body. See, this is what Jesus is offering. He's not saying, are you tired? Are you worn down? He's saying something much more than this, that there is a deep soul rest he wants to give you so that your soul can stop striving, your spirit can stop carrying burdens it was never intended to. There's a study that came out of a few things that that humanity needs to, to fully grow and mature that connects to this. And there's, there's some of these things that if we don't, if, if a human doesn't do them, they never so-called like self-actualize, grow into themselves. And so I just began to read this study to see how it connects to wearisome and burdened and what Jesus is saying. You see, and here's what it says. As humans, we have deep core level questions that have to be answered. You have questions in your soul and your heart that have to be answered. And you will look for the answers. These are answers about true purpose about unconditional love, about, about unconditional forgiveness, questions about your identity and who am I really? Who am I? That's the first question. My truest identity must be settled at a soul level if I'm ever gonna get soul rest. You see, I personally believe that having your identity settled is perhaps one of the biggest factors of having a quality of life and uh, peace and relationships here on this earth. Our identity, if not answered on the soul level, weariness will become a part of our everyday life because we will have to strive consistently and constantly to answer that question, who am I? We take our deepest question of who am I and we take it to the world. And my job begins to tell me who I am. And my relationships begin to tell me who I am or my, my, my fears and my anxieties, or my successes, or my failures. The world begins to tell me who I am. These are deep, eternal questions. And I'll say this, where you take the question changes everything about your life. The Bible says that God has placed eternity within us. That's the soul and spirit level. There's something within you that God placed. He placed eternity within us something unlimited, something infinite, something created in his image. The deepest part of who I am was created by God and only an eternal answer can quell that eternal thirst. I have an infinite, unlimited need within me and therefore I need an unlimited, infinite answer. If my identity has this infinite question and I try to find my identity in the world, I will constantly, for the rest of my life, be striving for that answer because the world will only offer finite answers to an infinite question. The world only has finite resources to an infinite need. I want deep and lasting peace, but I will have to strive. Strive and work. My soul craves 
a deep, lasting peace that is unshakable. And I deal with this. And I know it might be, might be new, but, but you deal with this at some level. We all, this is a human condition. We're answering an eternal question with temporary answers around us. We're filling an infinite void with finite resources. Who am I is a question we take with us through life. And what's the result? If I'm looking to my job or relationship or appearance or health or whatever it is to answer that, I will be wearisome. I will be burdened because at the truest level of who I am, I'm letting the world give me finite answers to those questions. The eternal question of my soul requires an eternal answer, and that is what Jesus is offering here. Author John Eldred tells us that each person carries with them a, a main question that they ask. One soul-level question that every boy and man asks is, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? A man will take this question with him, a boy will, and they will go throughout their life looking to find the answer. And many, most often, young boy, being a former youth pastor, I saw this, most young boys will find the answer, do I have what it takes, in, immediately in sports and accomplishment. It's an immediate feedback that I have what it takes to accomplish this, to do this. But as they move forward, men will take this question, do I have what it takes into every relationship, hoping that perhaps a significant other can help answer that question. Men soon learn that it is in work and in accomplishment that they find they have what it takes. And they find that work is answering an infinite need with a finite, ongoing answer. His eternal soul is being answered by fleeting fixes and responses, so there will have to be constant striving. So men will get tired, wearisome, and burdened. What happens to a man when his work and his success begins to fail? It's not his work, it's his worth that's failing. Because we've taken an infinite need to have what it takes to a finite resource. Another deep question is, am I captivating? A little girl who never roots herself in the identity of Jesus, she will take that question to every relationship she ever has. Am I captivating? Am I enough? Am I pretty enough to be captivating? What can I do to be captivating? They will hope a finite person can answer this infinite question in her heart. She'll take it further into life, hoping that perhaps a career or accomplishment will answer it, or even perhaps motherhood, or any of these roles, that, that am I captivating, am I, am, am I enough? But again, they don't have the deep answers that her soul is longing for. The cost of taking our soul's question to anything of this world apart from God means we get fleeting answers to eternal questions, and the result is a vicious cycle of weariness. And we all wonder why we're so tired, because we're soul tired. Jesus says, I'll give you rest for your soul. Why? Because in Jesus, it is the eternal reality. In him is the eternal reality of who you truly are. Your truest self. Your deepest wondering of your identity is found in him. You are significant, not because you did something of worth, but because he has made you something of worth. You have what it takes because you are a home of the Holy Spirit of God. You are captivating because you are a beloved daughter of the Most High. You have what it takes because where he calls you, he's going to equip you. 
You are captivating because if every person you know claims that you are worthless, you know that worth comes not from this world, but from the God who created it. You have significance because if all your work and success and striving fail, there is unconditional love, unlimited acceptance, and unshakable peace that a God loves you and calls you to heaven. When your identity is correctly rooted in the King of Kings, all of this life can fade away and you can stand with internal resilience because you're resourced by an eternal God. You want rest for your soul? Know who you are in Jesus. Root yourself in his word and who he says you are and who he says he is. Be found in his word. The second thing that we as humans need, that first one is identity, the second one is autonomy. This is governing, governing yourself with healthy boundaries. This is the ability to lead yourself. And if we're honest, that's often the hardest leadership practice there is, leading yourself. And you want to know something about humans I found to be funny is that we, despite what you might say, we love rules. We love them. Uh, if you go to any sporting event, who's the person getting yelled at the most? The referee, the umpire, the rules guy. Who needs the glasses? Are you, are you blind? You know that. Can you imagine a game with no rules? Can you imagine a driving with no rules? Can you imagine a society with no boundaries? Can you imagine a marriage with no boundaries? I mean, if I tell my, my kids, don't go play out in the rule or out in the road, but out of rebellion, they go, I don't like those boundaries and go play in the street. It can cost them everything. Which is just, in fact, if you decide you don't like the boundaries of marriage, it could cost you everything. In all areas of our lives, if we're living outside of healthy boundaries, it's going to cost us relationships, character, integrity, peace. Where are you giving yourself permission to live outside the healthy and holy boundaries of God? That's called sin. And that word is just so not popular in church today, but that's what it is when we're living outside of God's boundaries. And listen, I want to tell you something. This isn't legalism and religion. This is wise and, and, and healthy living. It's not legalism to decide to remain faithful to my spouse. In fact, staying faithful to her, I am open to the joy and peace of marriage and avoid the incredible pain of the other side. Why are boundaries important when it comes to wearisome and burdened? Why do I bring boundaries up when it comes to being burdened and weary? Why? Because oftentimes the things that are exhausting us the most, the things that exhaust your soul and your heart and your emotions and mind are in those places where we are outside the healthy boundaries that God asked us to live in. Our secrets make us weary. Carrying secrets carries burden. Nothing exhausts a soul like unrepentant sin. So while we find our identity in Jesus, this, this oasis of peace, we must constantly be create, uh, courageous enough to repent and confess. Now, can, repentant mean, repentance is this word that simply means turn away from sin. Like come back inside of God's boundary. And confession, when I say a word like that, everyone from your past, you have an experience of what that means and doesn't mean. It does not mean going to, 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 to me to tell me what it is. It could mean this, confess it to God. And it could also mean confessing it to a mentor or a small group or someone you trust, someone who's on the journey with you. Tell them, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm out of bounds. 
I want to live inside. I want to live inside. Confession can be scary, but confession brings freedom. And oftentimes, if we're really honest, the heaviest burden, the heaviest burden we're carrying is our secrets, if we're really honest. And getting those out, confessing those and repenting, helps us to walk free of that. So you want rest for your soul? Begin to live a lifestyle of repentance and confession. And where you're out of God's boundaries, hopefully today for some of you, this is your call back. Come back inside the boundary because that's going to be exhausting and leave you weary and burdened. Jesus finishes this. He says, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The yoke of Jesus, his teachings, his way of living is easy and light. Now, you may have grown up under heavy, heavy uh, religion, I have a friend who, who is very close to me, um, and he's like, man, I, I, I don't, I, I'm kind of cool with the God stuff, but I don't know about that church thing. I, there's just no way I can do all those things you have to do. And I'm like, what do I have to do? But that's, that's the thought, is that there's this yoke of being in a church of all the things we have to do. But the yoke of Jesus is something we actually talk about all the time here at the orchard. Some of you are wearing the t-shirts this very morning. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Love God, love people is the yoke of Jesus. You do that and you'll find your soul resting into a deeper sense of peace. So today, are you tired? Today, do you have burden in your life? Jesus would say, come. Like, like to you, he'd say, come. Come follow me. Come back inside the boundaries. Come follow me. Come know my words of life. Come, come know my yoke. Love God and love people and write them on your heart and begin to live them. He would want you to lay down your heavy burdens that you're carrying, to lay down that unforgiveness for that person, to lay down those secrets you've hidden away, to, to lay down and put down the weighty, consistent private sin, to, to stop hauling around that, that cumbersome, heavy religious legalism, to let go of the expectations that others have for who, who your identity should be. Put that burden down. There's a place to lay these burdens. There's actually a place to put them. And it's at the feet of Jesus. And, it, and in Jesus' name changes everything in his authority. You see, in Jesus, I find my truest identity, that I am a beloved son, forgiven. In Jesus, I lay down my sins and my burdens. In Jesus, I find I belong to a redemptive people who I can be authentic with. In Jesus, I'm called to a cause that will transform the world around me. In Jesus, I find my soul's rest. So my question today is, and where are you burdened? Some of you are under such heavy, crushing weight. We've been praying all week for you on this message into this next song we're going to sing. I've been listening to this song all week, praying for this moment. And, and before we, we, we met, we met here, uh, before we started service, the team meets up here and we pray and we remind ourselves we can't sing good enough, we can't play good enough, and we can't preach good enough to do anything in this place. The Spirit's got to move. And we're praying, we've been praying for you for this moment because Mike is about to sing a song over you, over you. And the leaders and the elders of this church are gonna sing this song over you. You'll see some elders, I'll be up here at the front with my wife. There'll be some other elders and leaders at the front and in the back because some of you, you're carrying burden. You can barely stand under the crushing weight of it and you want prayer, you need prayer. We would love to pray with you. 
So there's two responses. What of you? One, one is that you sit here and you receive this song. And the other is for those of you courageously who need prayer or confession or whatever it would be, come find one of us so we can pray for you.